What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the message. message. But we're going to have fun today. We, uh, we've been in this series called uh, Jesus People. We are Jesus People. And it's been good. How many of you have been, been challenged by that? Has it, has it reinforced? I don't, really don't think it's been anything earth-shattering, but it's been a lot of reinforcement. Sometimes you got to be reminded who you are. Sometimes you got to be reminded who you are. Are y'all awake this morning? Y'all going to make me work hard? I'm going to have to work less hard when I'm worshiping up here so I have more energy when it's time to preach. Y'all got to help me out today, okay? All right, so sometimes you have to be reminded who you are. Amen. All right, I'm just reteaching you. It's okay. Go ahead, if you will, turn, if you have a Bible with you, uh, feel free to turn to Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going to start off, and we're going to read a couple of verses here, and uh, it's, it's this beautiful, um, beautiful encounter where Jesus' people stepped out and started doing some crazy things for God. And uh, how many of you know that um, it's a good thing to step out and do crazy things for God? And most of the time when you're doing something crazy for God, it's not actually crazy, it's actually normal. But we're taking ourselves out of a mentality and a lifestyle that we're used to in humanity and trying to walk in the authority that we have in Jesus. And so when we begin to walk in the authority of who we are in Jesus, who our identity is in Jesus, it actually begins to transform what's normal in our life. How many of you could use some different normal in your life? Notice I didn't say new normal. Oh, there it is. I just said it. Okay, sorry. Nobody wants to hear new normal right now. A different normal. That's different than a new normal. Anyway, all right. Acts chapter 3, you can look in your Bibles, you can pull it up on the YouVersion Bible app that every human on the planet should have. Uh, and if not, we got, you, we got you hooked up. We got it up here behind us right here. All right, started in, in verse 1. It says, Peter and John, now you may recognize these names. These are two of the original disciples that walked with Jesus. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth, that's kind of rude to say, are you so lame? You were lame from birth. Anyway, sorry, that's just, that's what's happening up here as I'm reading this. A man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg from people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, which usually for the guy who's begging, that's a good sign. Eye contact is usually a good sign looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them and eager, eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, which typically at that point he would have said, well, then please move on because maybe somebody behind you does. He says, I don't have money, but I'll give you what I have. Somebody say, I'll give you what I have. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up. Somebody say, jumped up. He didn't get dragged up. He jumped up. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then... 
Because not just that, then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. I love this. It says, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized that he was the lame beggar, because there's a good chance everybody knew this guy. They had been bringing him there since he was a child because if you're lame, if you're crippled, your profession is to beg. So there's a good chance they knew this guy. They saw him all the time. They always tried to avoid eye contact. Or maybe if they had some extra change, they'd throw some at him. But they recognized him. And it says that they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Isn't that an amazing thing that just happened? And it wasn't Jesus in the flesh walking around doing it and the disciples watching. It was a couple of guys that followed Jesus around for about three and a half years and now it's them doing it. It's amazing to see what happens when people begin to believe that what Jesus said is actually true. Let me pray for you real quick. We wanna get into it this morning. Father, we love you. Lord, we ask in the time that we have together this morning, just in these few minutes, Lord, that you would open up our hearts. We wanna understand what you're teaching us. Father, help us to have teachable spirits. Help us to have open minds today, God. This isn't about convincing of an argument. This is about having a revelation, God, of who you are and trusting in what your word says and that it's true. So God, we thank you for your word today and we dive in. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen, amen. So again, we're talking about Jesus people. Let's define that really quick so that we can know what we're talking about. Jesus people are regular people like you and me. That's good news. Somebody say amen. Not perfect people, regular people like you and me who are passionate about their relationship with Jesus and live to share his life and love with others. How many of you know that there is a difference between having an interest in something and being devoted to something? There's a a difference between the two. Like, if you're interested in something, you might might research it a little bit. You might dabble in it. Maybe it's a hobby. Uh, But if you have a devotion to something, it it can consume you, right? It becomes a passion. It it involves every every way that you think about that particular thing. Now, I I personally, I think we've all at some point in time have thought about our own personal health, at least just once, maybe twice. Now, if you are interested in health, you might Google, all right, so what are some, uh, what are some healthy foods? All right, there's some healthy foods. You might, you might even get a gym membership. How many of you know there's a big difference between getting a gym membership and using a gym membership? There's a big difference. But you might get a gym membership. You might even, you might even occasionally see the donut and choose the apple, which that might be a big win. Or instead of going for the pumpkin spice latte, well, that sounds really good right now, by the way, you get the bottle of water. You're going hydration over sugar, hydration over sugar. You know, that, that might happen if you have an interest, but if you find yourself fully devoted to your personal health, then there's nothing that's actually going to stop you from taking the steps that you need to take. And it no longer becomes an option. It becomes something that consumes how you think. Instead of just having the gym membership, you actually put in your own personal calendar the times and the dates when you're gonna be going and what workouts you're gonna be doing. You know, you don't just Google what are some good healthy foods. You actually begin to change the restaurants maybe that you go to or the grocery stores or you rebudget your finances so that you can begin to invest less in fast food and more in stuff that you might cook at home that might be healthier. Like you're obsessed about it. And, and, and that's, to, to others, it may look like an obsession, but actually what's really taking place is you're just being fully devoted to the thing that's in front of you. A lot of, a lot of what the, the, the world sees when it looks at people who would be considered 
uh, uh, Jesus freaks or Jesus people or people who are obsessed with what they would call religion is nothing more than people who have decided to be fully devoted to Christ. It's a difference. <clears throat> Interest will intrigue you, but devotion will consume you. So today, um, in, in this message, we're going to be talking about Jesus' people are fully devoted. Jesus' people are fully devoted. Can somebody say, I am fully devoted? Some of you may not believe it yet, and it's okay. Don't feel guilty if you don't feel like you are fully devoted. It's, it's a part of the process, isn't it? It's a journey, isn't it, to, to learn what it means to be fully devoted. So that doesn't mean that you are a perfect Jesus follower. It doesn't mean that you've got it all figured out. It doesn't mean that you never sin. It doesn't mean that you do all the things the right way. But what it means is that you are fully devoted. So even if you do mess up, you collect yourself and you continue to move in the direction of Christ. That's a big difference between being religiously perfect or being fully devoted to being a Jesus follower. Can I, can I go back and give you guys a little reminder of who we are as a church? Convo Church exists. This is our mission. And I, and I hope you understand this is more than a statement. You're like, well, you're a church, so you have to have a mission statement. That's part of, that's what you do, right? So you can put on your website and you can whatever. No, it's, it's, it's our identity. Like, it's, like the mission of our church is and I'll say should be the thing that determines what we do as a church, who we are as a church, where we go as a church, how we operate as a church. Like it should consume everything. We should be fully devoted to the mission. When you choose or when God places you in a church and says, this is where I'm, I'm calling you to put your roots down, to be planted in the house of God. It's not just because you've shopped around and you've picked and chosen the things that you like the best. And because of that, this is where I have chosen to be. No, it's, it's because God is connecting you to something that's bigger than you. God is building the church. That's in the Bible. And when God is building the church, sometimes the things that we think we're doing based on our choice and our preference is actually us being a part of what God's already doing that maybe we don't even see yet. When God places people in a local church, it's not because that local church is better than the last local church that you were at. No, it's because God is trying to draw the people that he has seen fit to put them together relationally for a mission. Convo Church exists to lead all people. Yes, that word all is in there, and it makes me nervous because that's a lot of people. To lead all people in becoming passionate Jesus followers by bringing God's love and grace into everyday convos, influencing every sphere of life. Not just influencing the church world, not just influencing a certain culture, influencing every sphere of life. That should be the thing that as a church, it continues to drive who we are, it continues to drive what we do. Recently, I was talking to Pastor Kara, who happens to be my wife as well, and, and we, were, we were just kind of rehashing these last couple of years. Like, we've got, we've, we've got a, a bunch of friends. Like, we're a part of an, an organization that plants life-giving churches all over the world. Actually, last week and this week, there are 32 brand new churches around the nation and in Canada and one today in Trinidad and Tobago, which if some of y'all reckon remember a couple that was on a, a Zoom Dream Team call with us a little while back, they're launching today. And they actually have to launch online. I'm like, we're praying, brother, we're praying. But they're gonna do fantastic. Now, the cool thing is, is that, and this is not, I'm sorry, this is not on this, but I think it's important to remember who we are. Like, 
Convo Church is not just a church that says, hey, if this is your home, you should tithe to your church. Convo Church is a tithing church. And we tithe into church planning. And so 32 churches that have been planted, guess what? You help make that happen. Like legitimately, you are financially invested in those cities, those leaders, those teams, those places where churches are launching last week and today. Financially, we are sown into. That means you're gonna get to heaven one day and somebody that you've never seen before is gonna run up to you and say, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And you're gonna look behind you and around you because they're talking to the wrong person. And they're like, have, have we met? No, not in person yet, but, but you were a part of this church out in Reno called Convo Church, and, and your church gave so that other churches could be planted, and, and I showed up at this church that, that sent me some flyer, and I didn't know what to do, and I was struggling in life, and so I, I showed up, or I tuned in, and, and, and I heard this thing about Jesus that I'd never heard before, and, and, I, and I said yes to Jesus, and because you gave 2,600 miles away, I came to know God, and now we get to party in heaven forever. What we are a part of will always be bigger than the part that we play, always. So we were just kind of rehashing like, man, we're next week, two years. Technically two years kind of falls in the middle of this week, but that's just, we're not gonna have a Wednesday party. Two years, like man, and we think back and there's still plenty of people in this room who were there when we first started. When we opened up the doors thinking to ourselves, I think somebody might come. I think people might show up. You know, we've, we've, we've prepared a lot. We've prayed a lot. We've invited a lot. We'll see what happens. And guess what? People showed up. And we had church. I'll never forget that very first Sunday, there was 22 people that said yes to giving their life to Jesus. And, and, and after church is over, and after church is over, and we're tearing everything down, and we're driving away, just tears pouring down our face because it's like, God, wow, you're, you're doing something. You're doing something. God, we get to be a part of what you're doing. And I remember when we first moved here, because Reno, we, we'd never been here. This wasn't a place that we grew up all of our lives thinking, man, one day we're going to plant a church in Reno, Nevada. As a matter of fact, just prior to showing up, I still called it Nevada. Don't judge me. I'm from the South. We have pronunciations for everything that's incorrect. Anyway. And I remember getting here, and I remember, I remember. Okay, we we uh, we ended up, you know, because we didn't know, and we were trying to pick a good school and our kids, and trying to get them in the right spot. And we we ended up up in the Spanish Springs area, and, and which is still funny because when we have people come over to their house, they're like, "Woo, wow, y'all live up here!" I'm like, we came from D.C. This is 20 minute drives, nothing. You know, we had no idea. You know, so but I remember, I remember getting there and we're unpacking boxes and we're beginning to think about, okay, right now on on paper we're scheduled to 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 launch a church in ten months and and right now all we have is me, my wife, and my three kids and um, okay. All right, God, so in ten months, what are we gonna do? Where are we gonna do? Like where like you look at this big map of our region and you're like, God, where? Where do you want us to start? Like up here where we're living, way down here where we're not, over here, and we're looking. And I remember God speaking to me as, as clear as day. And he's like, man, you, Convo Church is not called to be just a community church. Convo Church is called to be a regional church. And right now, when we look at the people who call Convo Church their home, they're all, y'all are all over the place. Y'all are up in Spanish Springs, North Valleys, Northwest. Y'all are on the west side. You're down deep south. Some of y'all down in Washoe Valley. We have people come up from Carson. We've had people come over from Fallon. I mean, this, you guys are all over the place and everything in between. And I remember God on that map, he, he, he pointed out something. And it was literally kind of right next to GSR, but on like on, on 80. And he just kind of 
in my mind, put a pin right there. And he's like, look within a, a mile of this radius because you're going to start from within and then you're going to go out from there. Because part of our vision is to have a, a convo church location within 15 minutes of anybody in our region. How's that going to happen? Beats me. <laughs> I have no idea. But I also had no idea how God was going to use my family of five to start a church that was going to transform a region. And it's not us, it's God. And people that are, are, are sensitive enough to, or, or, or hungry enough to be drawn in either through relationship or by the presence of God and through the Holy Spirit to be a part of something that's bigger than just having a service. We're here to literally turn the kingdom of darkness upside down and to establish what already exists in heaven as the reality in this region. So we're gonna to continue to do that. We're gonna to continue to say, God, how can you position us in a way that prepares us to do the things that you've called us to do as a church? So just keep that in mind because we wanna make sure that everything that we're doing, every decision that we make as best as we can by the grace of God is fulfilling the mission that God gave to us for this church. And hopefully a mission that when you hear it, energizes you to wanna to be a part of it. None of that's on here. I love you, Keith. All right, back to our opening text. Acts chapter three. We see this in incredibly inspiring situation happen. Now, how many of you, if you were downtown, you're on Virginia Street, and you're about to walk into El Dorado, and there's the dude sitting by the corner of the door because he knows people are, are more likely to have money when they go in than they are when they come out, right? And, uh, and so he's, he, he, that's, just, that's his spot. That's where he's been all his life. He can't get there, but he's got friends that are nice enough to bring him there. And all of a sudden, he sees two people coming in who go to Convo Church. He doesn't know that they go to Convo Church. And, and I guess to make it make sense, I guess they're going to El Dorado to pray. And uh, so th these two guys are coming in, and he looks at him. He's like, hey, uh, you know, alms for the poor. I need some money. Can you help me? And where most people pretend like we can't hear, right? Or you pull up to the stoplight, and you, you're looking this way until it turns green, and then you're, you know. They, they, you, they, you stop and you look directly at this person. And he's like, yes, gonna get one. I don't have any money. Great. What are you gonna give me, a half drink bottle of water? Fantastic, really appreciate that. No, but what I do have you, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Now, please, please don't just read the Bible like it's a story like it's not real, put yourself in this story. Put yourself in the position of Peter and John in this story. Put yourself in this context. Make this story come to life for you. You gotta ask yourself, why were they so bold to take this particular step? Why were they? Because they were fully devoted to being Jesus' people. They're like, well, it's, all I have to do is just kind of give myself a pep talk. Okay, mm, now I'm gonna be... I'm gonna be fully devoted, I'm fully devoted now. Okay, now I'm gonna go do crazy stuff. No, you have to understand something. Literally three months before this happened, give or take, both of these guys had betrayed Jesus, ran away from him when he was being arrested. Three months earlier, these guys who are now speaking boldly, miracles, signs, wonders, transformation in their city is taking place because of their, of their devotion to being a follower of Christ. Three months before this, when Jesus needed them most as a friend, 
boom, Peter takes off running. All the disciples take off running. At least John kind of hung around when the crucifixion happened, but everybody else was, was terrified and was out. Yet three months forward, here they are. What happened? It wasn't just a mindset shift. It wasn't just behavior shift. And this is what I want to get into because um, turn with me if, you, if you're there. If you're on the, on the Version Bible app, you just have to scroll back like one section. Go back to chapter 2. We were in Acts chapter 3. Go back just a few verses. Acts chapter 2. Because I, I want us to understand some context. We need to understand what changed, not just in the mindset of Peter and John, but what changed what changed inside of them that, that was so powerful and so drastic that it literally turned them from cowards into warriors. So here's a quick recap. You're in Acts chapter 2. We're going to get to verse 42 here. But, but remember, you got the disciples. Uh, Jesus calls the disciples to follow him. There's 12. One of them doesn't work out so great. So, you know, 11, and then they replace the other one that didn't work out so great. It's good. So Jesus got his 12, and then he's got crowds that are following him, and, and he's preaching, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God, and, and he's healing people. He's healing the blind. Every, every, everyone brought demon-possessed people to him, and everybody brought those who were sick to him, and he, and he healed all of them. He cast out all the spirits. Man, stuff's happening. The crowds are getting bigger and bigger. But all of a sudden, the crowds disappear when Jesus has to fulfill his plan, has to fulfill the plan of the Father. Because it wasn't just evil people that crucified Jesus, it was actually the plan of the Father for this to happen so that we could receive forgiveness and salvation through the sacrifice and the shed blood of Christ. So Jesus is arrested, his most faithful people take off. He's tried, he's convicted for doing nothing, he's beaten brutally, he's crucified. Everybody's discouraged. Yeah, he said he was going to you know, rise again on the third day, but doesn't really feel like that's going to happen right now. And then boom, resurrection. Oh, it happens. Okay, wow, what's happening? And then Jesus again starts to, re, starts to appear to his disciples and his closest followers. And, he, and, and if you get to like Matthew 28, you ever heard of the Great Commission? You've heard that statement before, the Great Commission. It's like the, they think it's the last thing, that one of the last things Jesus said before he ascended back to heaven. And he's like, go into all the world. It's like, if you're a missional person, this is the scripture that you like. You're going to all the world, preach the gospel to every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out devils. You know, so if you're a missional person, you're like, yeah, ready, one, two, three, Jesus, let's go, right? No, it wasn't go time. Because the last thing that Jesus said to them wasn't go do this mission. The last thing he said to them was go into Jerusalem and don't you leave that place until you receive my spirit, until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, don't you try to do what I'm called you to do without the power that I'm gonna give you that gives you the ability to actually do it. So we have Peter and John who not were, they weren't just mentally motivated. They didn't just read a good devotional in the morning that pepped them up for the day and gave them faith. No, they had done something that Jesus said every single Jesus person needs. They had received something supernatural that was bigger than a, than a, than a thought, bigger than an action, bigger than an effort, bigger than your, your best, most spiritual day. And, and, and they had something that was bigger than themselves. And that's the very spirit of God. Listen, you need to understand, yes, every single one of you is called to do something great, but you need something more powerful than your own willpower to accomplish it. 
you need the power of the Holy Spirit to come inside of you and to saturate so that what you are fully devoted to is not just your actions, you are fully devoted to reliance on the power of God. There are Christians walking around, this is where, you know, if you need the theological argument, well, I'm saved, so I've got the Holy Spirit inside of me. No, don't have time to break this down. The salvation moment, when you say yes to the saving work of Christ, yes, the Holy Spirit comes inside of your heart to begin to do that sanctifying, transformational, saving work inside of you. But if you were to go back and read the last couple of chapters in the book of John, you will see where even before the Holy Spirit showed up, Jesus breathed on them. They received salvation because here's the thing. The disciples weren't saved just because they followed Jesus. The disciples couldn't be saved until Jesus rose from the dead because the work wasn't finished. The uh, sins were not atoned for yet. So it wasn't just that he died, it's that he resurrected. And because he resurrected, now we have power over sin and can receive salvation. So believe it or not, even before they were saved, they were doing miracles in the name of Jesus. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think some of y'all are getting that. It's kind of a big deal. Because right now we just think, well, I believe in Jesus, so... I'm good. I believe, I believe. So does the devil. You're in great company. Yeah, I believe that there's a God. So do the demons. And they actually are more afraid of him than you are. No, God is calling us to not just do what is comfortable to us, but to receive something supernatural from him that doesn't even allow us to stay in a place of comfort. You actually have to fight God to stay in a place of comfort. And for those of you who have experienced what it means to, 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 to live in discomfort for Jesus, you realize over a short period of time that there is nothing more life-giving than operating and trusting and having faith for the impossible and putting your own credibility on the line because you believe that God's gonna come through for somebody. There's nothing like it whatsoever. So typically, you know, when we talk about you know, being fully devoted to Christ and, and, we, and we'll read chapter three and Peter and John and this cool thing's happening, typically what happens is that we'll go back to Acts 2.42. How were they fully devoted? Well, they were fully devoted because after, you know, after Jesus left, they were all, it says they all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and, and, and to prayer. They, it was these elements that allowed them to be fully devoted. And, and those, those are so stinking important. Like, Every single one of them is crucial in the formation of a church community coming together and discipleship taking place and revival that our region needs coming through Jesus' people. Like that's so needed, but that's not the thing that God had started. The thing that God had started was one chapter before where Jesus says, listen, y'all remember John the Baptist. He baptized in water, but I'm gonna baptize you in fire. And here's the key word, baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, that original word means, is, it's called baptizo. That's always great when a Greek word, because you can use that in everyday vocabulary. Baptizo, but that word actually means fully immersed. That's why we believe that when you get baptized in water for Jesus, it, it is a full immersion of water. That's why we're looking for tanks and pools and something deep so we can get you all the way down. Because it represents a full immersion of God becoming the Savior, the Lord, and the God of your life. 
That exact same word is the word that gets used when it talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I will baptize you in fire. It's not just going to be something that's in your heart that's helping you live saved. It's going to be something that infuses your entire being. So there is a difference between having the Holy Spirit when you get saved and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because the disciples had the Holy Spirit in them when they were saved, but he still said, wait in Jerusalem until I send you my Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because you're going to need a whole lot more than a little something in your heart to walk in the victory that you need to be Jesus' people and to change this world. So after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and read Acts chapter two later today, and you can see how that, un that encounter unfolded. We're not gonna get into that right now. It's powerful, and yes, it did set a first mention principle for how God continues to operate throughout the world when people encounter the Holy Spirit of God. It's a, kind of a big deal, and it's kind of really cool. But at the same time, we need to understand they weren't just empowered with the Holy Spirit so they could feel good about themselves and get together with other Holy Ghost people and Holy Spirit people and party about our Holy Spirit inside of us. No, the whole point of that supernatural power coming alive inside of us was so that we could now go into all the world and be a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Because without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, our best efforts are just that. It's a human effort. Our arguments will fall short. Our spiritual stamina will come up short. Our, 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 our flesh nature will rise up more when we encounter the things that come against us instead of still being motivated and dominated by the love and the grace of God. Operating within the strength of the Holy Spirit as we begin to minister in our region the way that God has called you and I to minister will actually, even when we come up against trials and come up against persecution and come up against arguments, we won't be drawn into a fleshly battle, but we will be positioned for a spiritual one. And the spiritual battle that will take place will not be between words that you have and words that somebody else has. It will be something where the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say, the time to say it, the way to say it that continues to demonstrate the love and the grace of God, and his power is going to come through. Now, what would happen? I'm, I feel like I'm talking fast. Now, what would happen if, if, if Peter and John had the same interaction with this guy? And, and he looks at him, he's like, I, I don't have what you're asking for. I don't have the money, but I'm going to give you what I do have. Well, what do you have? Well, I think actually most of what you're struggling with, sir, is, is more of a mental battle than anything. I think, and, and begin to intellectually argue with somebody. Well, you know, these, you know, if you were to read this article that I found on, on Wikilinks, if you were to read this, I really feel like this would help you have a better perspective about the trials that you find yourself in. That, it wouldn't have made it into the pages. <laughs> that would have been cut. You'd be like, that's terrible. No, don't do that. No, because here's the thing. A person who has an experience will always trump somebody who has an argument. It, I, I, we, we aren't supposed to have the natural answers for everybody. We're not. We're not supposed to be able to intellectually debate with everybody to bring them to an agreement with us. And that's not what Jesus did. That's not what the disciples watched Jesus do. They actually watched him do all ridiculous, unconventional things. But the power of the Holy Spirit was, was evident 
Instead of saying, oh, you're blind. Okay, so, well, have you, have you, been, have you been to an eye doctor? You know, it wasn't like that. No, he, and I'm not saying do this unless you better have yourself a good word from the Holy Spirit. Jesus picks up dirt and spits in it. You're like, what the heck are you about to do, Jesus? Don't worry about it. Spits in it, makes mud, rubs it in the guy's eyes. I don't even know if he saw it coming. Well, that was, okay. That was, I wish I could take, oh, that was not on purpose. Anyway, but can you imagine, like, can you imagine being in that position where you're like, okay, uh, you know, you're Jesus, you're probably going to heal me. But the way he does something is so out of the box. Like, why did he do that? I, I don't know. It actually doesn't say. And this is the dissertation of why Jesus decided to rub mud in the guy's eyes. But the guy was healed. So it's not, you know, the whole point is that it's not about us doing what's conventional, about us even doing what is logical. It's about us understanding that there is something so much bigger in us at work through us. And that you don't have to have all the answers for everybody, but you do have to have power for them. What they see in you shouldn't just be an intellectual element that is above other people, that you can argue people under the carpet. But what they should see in you is they should see love that is bigger than what should be in the moment. They should see light coming from you that is, that is attracting them to you when they don't understand what it is. They should see somebody who, for whatever reason, they don't even know why, but they feel like they can come to you when they are going through things, and you don't have to counsel them. You can pray for them and watch God do something miraculous. Full devotion to Christ starts with full devotion to receiving the power that he desires to give us. Because here's the thing, if you, get, if you just get caught up in the academia of the intellect and the arguments of what's going on around us, then what you are confident about will become shaken when there's an argument presented that you don't know how to come against. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people like, oh, you believe this, you believe that? I'm like, yeah. Well, according to this, and they, have, you ever, have you ever had somebody discourage your faith by giving you a scripture? You're like, why, why is that even a thing? But it is. Jesus did. Jesus was tempted in the, in the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights. And before he was able to overcome that season and come out in victory, one of the first things, people, individuals to encounter him was Satan. And guess what Satan brought at him? Scriptures. Satan, yes, the, the devil knows the Bible, which should should encourage you to know the Bible. Because then you know if it's being brought at you properly or whether it's being used to manipulate. I mean, you don't have to look too back, in, too back far in history to see that the word of God has been used to hurt many people. And it is a two-edged sword and there are some people that wield the Bible to hurt people. But when you use the word of God to bring life to people, something else begins to happen. So my, my prayer today is, is do we, do we need to follow Acts uh, 2.42 to grow in our devotion? Yes. It says they, developed, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That, were, that was the word of God. Now, for them, we actually have this, this canonized Bible, but they didn't have that yet. All they had was the law and the prophets, and they had the, the, the life that they walked out with Jesus in the flesh. And so they would connect the prophecies of Old Testament to the reality of who Jesus was. And then they just had stories. Man, Jesus did this, and we were just watching. And he said, feed 20,000 people. They said 5,000, but they were families. Feed 20,000 people. 
How? Uh, with some bread and some fish. And they're just telling stories. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus said. This is what he told us to believe. And then we went out and did this and this happened. And faith began to build and people began to get devoted to what the apostles were teaching them. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship is this word that we like to use now, community. Like They devoted themselves to being in community. But not just community that's convenient, community that's also inconvenient. Community that takes up time. Community that takes investment into relationship. We, we, we can't, we can't, can't, uh, we're running out of time. I'll have to come back to it. It's all good. Sharing in meals. We shouldn't argue with that. Let's share. Let's share some meals. Let's do that. But, and to prayer. And to prayer. That's not an afterthought. I feel like it's the exclamation for the things that, that draw us together. It's the exclamation point and prayer. Because prayer, not just God, would you bless our food, but I'm talking about prayer that moves mountains. I'm talking about prayer that shakes everything that can be shaken so that the kingdom of God can be established. I'm talking about prayer that even when you don't see the results that you've been praying for, you keep going. You keep praying, you keep believing, you keep standing. Without the Holy Spirit, our devotion to Christ becomes more academic than it does supernatural. It has to start with the supernatural because our world doesn't need an academic argument. Our world needs an experience. Our world needs something that just, like a tidal wave, completely overshadows all the arguments of logic. Doesn't mean that there aren't logical things within the kingdom of God or even within scripture, there absolutely is, but, but the supernatural power of God is the thing that has defined who God is from the very beginning and is still the thing that defines who he is today. So all those things are important. We don't want to act religious. 2 Timothy 3, 5, it says, they will act religious but deny the very power that can make them godly. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So my prayer is that as we continue to grow as a church and continue to, honestly, continue to grow into who we are, as we continue to grow in our identity, when you, when you, when you come to Christ, you don't, just automatically understand and live in your full identity. That'd be great, but, but there's a journey and there's a process of, of unlearning who I thought I was and beginning to learn now who God says I am. And I think that process is also true for a church. I think we are still discovering to a degree who we are, not necessarily what we define, but together. Because there's constantly people coming in. And honestly, and this happens too much in the church world, there's constantly people going out because we still think that where God has planted us is based on the menu that we've chosen. When it's supposed to be about where God has chosen to place me. And then when God chose to place me somewhere, I'm willing to do whatever it takes in the brokenness and the awkwardness of community and relationship and friendship and family. And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to allow the Holy Spirit to do tough work in me when there's conflict because I'm not gonna run away from where God has planted me because things got tough. I'm gonna lean in and lean into the relationships that God has put around me, even the ones that challenge me. But in America, we tend to be very comfortable about our preferences and our choices. And when we don't like that restaurant, I'm not going, that waitress was rude to me. That greeter, when I came into church, they didn't even, they were talking to somebody else, didn't even acknowledge me. Gosh, I thought this was a friendly church. I'm gonna go find some place where they actually like people. Oh my gosh, that song they sang at worship today, I didn't even know what to do with it. Do they even think these things through? That preacher just won't shut up. Does he know what time it is? No, I'm sorry. 
Guys, community is something that is so worth wrestling for. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. Our, our world, not religious people, but our world is looking for authentic community. And they're desperate for the church to demonstrate it. And we have an opportunity to live as Jesus people who are fully devoted, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and dedicated to the things that God has put before us. Can I pray for you? Thank you again for joining us on the Combo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Combo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to combochurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.